so before I get rolling <clears throat> into the uh, final sermon in this series, bigger, <clears throat> I don't know that I don't know that uh, Kate and Katie hit the party well enough. <laughs> no, but here's why I say that because <clears throat> the reason that we have a Christmas party is not to have a Christmas party. I mean, because don't get me wrong, Christmas parties are fun. But let's be honest, we all have a lot of junk to do over the holidays, right? Right. But the reason that we do this is because, is because it is so difficult to get to know people in this atmosphere just on Sunday mornings. I mean, it's really difficult because as soon as we're done, lights get turned on, curtains start getting pulled down, chairs get put up, people get busy doing their things and people walk out the door. And it is really difficult to kind of connect in this little thing on Sunday morning. And, and, and as you know, we're not a large congregation, but it is completely possible for you to come into this congregation on Sunday mornings and be here for like years and we not ever know you. Right. And you just kind of feel disconnected. And so opportunities like tonight for the Christmas party is great for if you have kind of been on the fringe and haven't felt like you've really connected, like come tonight, let us get to know you. Let us get a chance to connect with you. That's why we do it. Not just to have a Christmas party but the white elephant gift is awesome. So you need to be there for that. Um, Matthew says this, he says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about. In case you were wondering, in case you were sitting here this morning thinking, Andy, how did the birth of Jesus come about? I'm glad you asked because, because that's what we're going to talk about. He, here's how Matthew lets us know right up front when he's writing his gospel, when he's writing the story, he lets us know right up front that as a Jewish man, he believes from the very top that Jesus was the long awaited Messiah. Now, before we get rolling too much into this, um, there's two things that we need to look at within this sentence. One of these, one of these is being um, the actual Hebrew word for Messiah, right? The word Messiah, that, well, the word Messiah here is actually the Hebrew word and the Greek equivalent of that word is Christ, right? Christ. Christ was not Jesus's last name. Some people like, like Jesus, it was not like an announcement in the, in the, you know, in the local news, like, oh, and Jesus was born to Joseph and Mary Christ. And like, that's not like they welcomed a healthy, you know, you know, that, that's not, that's not how that, that worked. But it, it was the Greek term for the Hebrew term that meant the one that the Jewish people had been waiting on forever, right? That they had for so long. And while we're on names, there's something else we need to clear up within this verse for a lot of this to make sense. While we're on names, um, the word Jesus, right, is actually um, a Latin translation of the Greek word for the Hebrew word or name Yeshua. Some of you may have come across somebody who, who heard, you know, they referred to Jesus as Yeshua and, and you either had one of two thoughts when you heard that either one, you were like, um, you're saying it wrong. It's Jesus. Um, or two, you're like, 
Well, how pretentious. <laughs> you can't just say Jesus like the rest of us. You got to be all Hebrew-y about it, right? Yeshua. Yeah, but that, that's what we do. And from the name Yeshua, because, because the Hebrew and the Greek, they don't have the J's, right? For the J. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Like, this is, whew, this is great stuff. <laughs> Exciting. Merry Christmas. Like, so they don't have that, they don't have that, that J for that J, right? And so this, this is kind of where we get the name Joshua from the Yeshua, right? And, and so I know it'll mess up Christmas songs, but, but we've been pronouncing Jesus's name wrong the whole time. Right. In fact, maybe, maybe, maybe this is why God hasn't answered some of your prayers. <laughs> Maybe, maybe he's just like, you know, okay, maybe I'll listen to your prayers when you can get my son's name right. Right? Listen, no, as, as a parent who has two boys who for the first time anybody hears their names, they're just like, huh? And then they say something not even close to it. Like, I, under, I understand that, that parental instinct to be like, no, you need to get my child's name right. Um, I don't think Jesus is hold, or God's holding out on you because... You're not pronouncing Jesus right. But since we've messed it up this far, we're going to stick with Jesus, okay? But we've got to understand um, the whole, the, the, the name, we've got to understand it within the, to understand the, the realm of the, the Christmas narrative and the significance of the Christmas narrative. And so we really need to understand that Jesus is Joshua or Yeshua. And, and as you look in who Joshua was in the Old Testament, I mean, we're, we're, we're looking at a guy who was a warrior king. I mean, he like delivered, he delivered his people from their oppressors, right? And so the Jewish people were looking for a Joshua. They weren't looking for a Jesus. So here's how the story goes. This is how the story began. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. The Bible's fun if you read between the lines a little bit. So as you're reading through that, it says, but before they came together, that's a nice little sentence. What that means is, like before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through it. Now in the previous generation before that, right? she would have been either stoned or burned alive for being pregnant out of wedlock. And, and, and it was even a little more different back then because marriage happened young. Like when you were 10, you were promised to somebody. A deal had been made between families. Like it was there. And you were married by 13, 14, 15. Like it was, if you weren't married by the time you were 16, like you might as well, something's wrong. You're the old maid, like not getting, like it was a, it was a different system. So she's pledged to Joseph and finds out that she's pregnant. Now, one of the things that informs us kind of to Joseph's initial response, and this is going to sound so just terrible and sacrilegious. If you have a Catholic background, like don't, don't get mad at me. Let's wait till the end. Here, one of the things that informs us is that Mary was crazy. What she was saying was crazy. I mean, here we are. So here she is, goes to her parents and they're like, you're pregnant. All right. Which one of the, which one of the boys in the village is the father? 
She looks at him and says, no, 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 no. There's, there's no man. An angel came and told me. Right? How many of your parents, how many of you who are parents would believe your child? No, no, no. There was none of that. An angel said God did this. Right? No, that's crazy. Right? And the reason that it's crazy is because it's so unbelievable. Somebody who is sane at all would not try and use that as a defense. Right? There's all kinds of other reasons and excuses and ways out of your responsibility within that to explain that story away. Um, an angel told me God did it. Mm-mm. That's, that's a one-way ticket to crazy town um, with no way back. And so what to do? If you're Joseph, what to do with this person who you're supposed to be marrying soon? And all of a sudden now she's pregnant. And on top of that is spouting some crazy angel story. And you're stuck. But because Joseph, her husband was faithful to the law and he says husband, not because they were already married, but because they were committed Because he was faithful to the law, the law which says you can't marry her now. The law that said you have to shame her. There has to be a punishment for her. But he was faithful to the law and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. There was nothing inside of him that wanted to drag her into the middle of the town, declare her transgressions for everyone to know for some kind of punishment, possible death to be brought down on her, public scorn. I mean, he's caught in between law and grace, law and grace. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So he had in mind to divorce her quietly, which was perfectly in his right. He could have gone to a priest and said, hey, um, I would like to break the contract I have with this family. We can each just go on our own way. No harm, no foul. We're not going to, you know, say any bad things, do any of this. We can just let this go. But After he had considered this, breaking the contract, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Now, he wasn't literally the son of David because that would be a physical impossibility because David was many, many hundreds of years before that. But what the angel was doing was this was the angel's way of reminding him, hey, you are in the lineage of David which is important to everything I'm getting ready to tell you. So what I'm getting ready to say to you, filter through that lens. So he said, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Now, why would the angel say that? It's not a trick question. It's because he was afraid (laughs) to take her home. He he was risking his uh, reputation. He was risking what people thought of him. He he was risking people thinking that he was the father and that they had misbehaved before they were allowed to do things and that, that it would be his child when in fact it was not his child. The angel says, no, 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 you do not need to fear your reputation, which is at risk because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, This is a really important part of the narrative. And the reason that it's so important is because nobody was expecting this. Nobody was expecting this. Matthew later on, he goes on and he he writes, uh, he quotes the prophet Isaiah. 
and writes it in a later verse. And he talks about where Isaiah was spoken and said that um, a, a virgin will give birth to a son and you will name him Emmanuel. And he, he writes that out. But, but when you go back, the, the Hebrew word that you find in Isaiah for virgin, that wasn't the primary word for somebody who had never been with somebody. The word that was used was a secondary word and it really was more used for, um, it was more used for a, a young maiden or um, a young lady, not really a virgin in the sense of never having been with a man. And so in the Jewish culture, when you look at what was going on within the narrative and what God was doing with all of this, nobody was expecting a virgin birth. It wasn't one thing. They never said, nobody anywhere said, okay, it's going to be easy to spot the Messiah. Because when the Messiah comes, the Messiah will have no earthly father. That wasn't a thing. Nobody thought that. In fact, it was the opposite. They thought the opposite of that because they expected the Messiah to come through the line of David. And so they expected, they expected the Messiah to have an earthly father who was related to King David. So this whole virgin birth thing, like it was not critical to the storyline of God sending the Messiah to the Jewish people. In fact, in fact, it was a weird idea. And more than a weird idea, it was a pagan idea. Because this idea is kind of a, um, it, it kind of comes from the idea of like the Greek pagan gods, right? Because there's this story within the gods of like all the time, there's parts of the story of the gods mating with, with uh, human females to make these kind of demigods. You look back at Greek, Greek mythology, Hercules, who was Hercules' dad? Zeus, yeah. Zeus, Zeus was a busy guy uh, in that. <laughs> Helena Troy, her dad was also Zeus within all of that. And, and so putting that in the story doesn't help the story, right? It, 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 we don't, nobody was expecting. It was a Greek pagan idea to put it in there. Why would you put it in there? It doesn't, in fact, it actually hurts the story because it makes the story more unbelievable. It makes people want to doubt it even more. The only reason to put it in there because it was unnecessary. Nobody's looking for a virgin birth. It's not a requirement for the Messiah. The only reason to put it in there is because that's what happened. Right? And the thing here, here's another thing to remember is that when people rallied around the idea of Jesus and spreading his message beyond Jerusalem, nobody rallied around virgin birth. They didn't. After Jesus was crucified and he's laying in the tomb, nobody, nobody looked around and said, well, he's dead. But remember, he was born of a virgin. So let's keep the dream alive. Nobody said that. No, they were like, it's over. Whatever we thought he was, isn't. It's done. It was the resurrection that rallied the people around who Jesus was. The birth didn't matter. So the only reason to put this credibility damaging piece of information into the story is because that's what actually happened. The angel says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, which would have been Yeshua, 
or Joshua. Now, Joseph in this dream, he's probably thinking in my way of imagining the story. You've got to imagine the story your own way. But he's thinking, is is this really happening to me? Yeshua? I mean, the angel's telling me we're going to have a son, but I'm not the father, which is weird, but don't worry about that, okay? And you are give him the name of the long-awaited Yeshua, the warrior king. I am to give him the name of the long-awaited Messiah. The angel keeps going. You're give him the name Jesus because, and Joseph thought, you, you don't need to tell me because. I know because. I already know because for hundreds of years, we have been a vassal state. For hundreds of years, we have been oppressed. First, it was Assyria and then Babylon and then the Persians and the Greeks and now the Romans. I know exactly why the Messiah is going to be born into this world. You don't have to finish the sentence because. But the angel finishes the sentence. Because he will save his people. And again, I can only imagine being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know he's going to save his people. It's what we're all waiting on because that's what Joshua does. Frees his people from oppressors. That's what's getting ready to happen. He led our people into Canaan, drove the people out of the promised land so we could have our own land. Of course, he's going to do this. Of course, he's going to free us from the oppressors. We all know the story of Jericho. I mean, yes, get with behind Joshua. That's the thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. We can do that. We know how this plays out. And and he's probably like, I can't believe my son is going to be the one. Because like everyone else, Joseph had kind of given up hope and forgot about this idea. God seemed to be not interested or gone altogether. And so now this must be exciting news. And the angel says, he will save his people. And as Joseph is getting ready, or as Joseph is getting ready to finish the sentence, the angel says, from their sins. To which at this point, you need to take whatever dramatic music was building during the angel speaking to Joseph and then do a great big record scratch stop to it. <laughs> um, wait, 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 wait. Angel. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is so exciting. He is going to save his people from their sins. Um, angel. I know you're an angel. <laughs> We're on the same page there. But saved from our sins? Angel, that's not really a felt need that the Jewish people have. Angel, I, uh, we, you know, we need saving. But if you were going to get all of the Jewish people together... And you are going to take polls and interviews and votes and say, what is it, Jewish people, that we need saved from? Sin would not be the answer. In fact, sin might not even make the list. Because clearly, 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 angel, you are not familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Angel. No, no. Pay attention. Here's how it is. Angel, we need, our basic needs are physiological, right? We need, we need food. We need water. You know, those things necessary to keep us alive, angel. That doesn't deal with sins. Then, then angel, we need, um, we need safety. This is where we're really hoping you guys are going to come through. Safety, free us from our oppressors. Then after that, you know, once we're safe, then there's kind of that sense of community and belonging. That's what we need after that. 
And then once we have those things, we gain our, our sense of self-esteem and then we can move on from there and actually find self-actualization. Angel, that, that's the way that it goes. Now, Angel, on that list, anywhere of those things, do you see sin? Right? He said, we need to be saved from some things, but sin doesn't make the list. Besides Angel, now listen, Joseph didn't say any of this. <laughs> this is my imagining. Besides angel, in case you've forgotten, we already have a really complicated save us from the sin system. We have the temple. We have the procedures. Like we've got the sin thing covered. We're okay, angel. That's not what we need saved from. But Angel, I will, I will tell you, I will tell you who does need saved. Rome. They've got a lot of sins that they need saved from, right? So maybe we need to be paying attention to Rome and headed that way, right? Angel, we need a savior with a sword. That's what we need. But he didn't say any of that. Here's why he didn't say any of that. He didn't say any of that because listen, if an angel of the Lord shows up to you and starts talking, you say nothing. You say nothing. Anytime that God or a direct representative of God from the heavens shows up and starts speaking to you out loud, you do not talk back. You do not debate. Joseph woke up and there was no doubt in what it was that he would do. And actually, I think that this is one of the reasons that God does not speak to us directly in the way that so many of us think we would like God to speak directly to us. Because listen, God, he, he, I think he needs to stay a bit of a mystery because if he doesn't, if God were to show up in all of his glory and speak to us, we would lose our free will. We would be so overwhelmed by his glory and who he is that we would have no choice in anything. We would do whatever was said, however it was said to do it. We would have no choice. Joseph, after hearing straight from the angel, he didn't have a choice either. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Now, here's the idea that I want to wrap up this whole series with. Do you know why almost nobody gets excited when they hear God sent Jesus to save us from our sins? Now, the reason that nobody gets emotionally overwhelmed when they hear that and the reason that nobody gets so excited and just gets moved when they hear, you know, God sent Jesus to save us from our sins. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. I'm so excited about it. The reason we don't get overwhelmed with just excitement and with gratitude is because he, here's what we hear. We hear he will save his people from their sins. But that's not what we really hear. That's what gets said, but what we hear is, he will forgive his people of their sins. That, and that may not look like much of a difference to you. 
But when we hear the whole Jesus dying and sins and everything, we, we hear forgive people of their sins. And if we're not careful, here's what we do. We reduce Christmas and we reduce the Christmas story to forgiveness. And perhaps your entire Christian experience thus far has been about forgiveness. Maybe it's been about nobody's perfect, but God forgives. Nobody's perfect, but God forgives, right? And you just go through this cycle of I mess up, but God forgives me. I mess up, but God forgives me. I mess up, but God forgives me. But the message of Christmas is so much bigger than that. And how many of you were waiting until I finally got to the bigger, (laughs) right? Here it is. The message of Christmas is so much bigger than God forgives me. But if you've reduced Christmas to just forgiveness, then you've missed the primary message of Christmas. Because listen, Jesus came not to deliver us from the penalty or the consequences of sin. This is where we get messed up sometimes. In fact, in most cases, we are not delivered from the consequences and we are not delivered from the penalties of sin. What Jesus came to deliver us from is the power of sin. And that's completely different. It's the power that he, he came in that spirit of Joshua. Yeah, we, they were expecting to be freed from oppressors. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I am freeing you from so much more than that. From the dominion of sin, from the power of sin, the kingdom of sin, the slavery to the nation of sin, if you will. See, we have been promised in Jesus deliverance from the power of sin within our lives. And Jesus alluded to this idea throughout his entire ministry. You see him going through this. Uh, There was a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And the people who caught her, they weren't so interested in what she was doing. They were trying to trap Jesus. So they drag her through town, right up the stairs to the temple, plop her down onto the ground. There she is caught in shame, embarrassment. All of these people coming after her. She's probably 25 yards from where they're sacrificing animals for the covering of sins. Probably 75 yards from allegedly where the law itself is dwelling that she is guilty of breaking. And they bring her up there, throw her down in front of Jesus and say, the law says we're to stone her what do you say? And they're like, oh, we got him. They didn't have him. But they were so dramatic about it. Make this display. And Jesus called their bluff. He knew that they weren't going to stone. First of all, you didn't stone anybody in the temple courts. That didn't happen. Second of all, Rome made it illegal for them to be stoning people. Like Rome was basically like, okay, you can do all of your Jewish things, but not that. We're keeping a level of peace here. You're not going to be able to do that. So he calls their bluff. He says, fine. If you want to stone her, that's what the law says. Fine. Drag her away and stone her. With one caveat. Whoever amongst you is sinless, you get it started. You throw, you throw that first stone. Of course, most of us are familiar with the story. They all get quiet. What, what can they say to that? Eventually, everybody leaves and Jesus bends down and, and 
He says a couple things to her. One of, the, one of the things is really famous. The other one, not as much. But he bends down and he asks her, where are your accusers? Where did they go? She says, they've left. He's like, yeah. And in the same way that they no longer are here to condemn you, I do not condemn you. In other words, here's Jesus kneeling down in the temple courtyard within sight of where the whole system is happening to cover sins. And he looks at her and he essentially says, we don't need all this. I'm, I'm the sacrifice. You are forgiven. And then he says, then he says, this is the one that doesn't get near as much attention. And then he says, and leave your life of sin. Most of us know that is go and sin no more, right? To which we think, is that possible? Can we possibly sin no more? I mean, can we leave the captivity that sin seems to have on us? Can we actually say no to sin? Is that something that's really possible? Jesus was having a conversation with the Pharisees another time. And he, um, he made the reference. He said, the, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Some of you are familiar with this interaction. And most of the time I've ever heard that preached, whoever's speaking says that Jesus was talking about Satan. I, I don't think he was. I think he was talking about thieves. I think he was trying to remind the people, hey, I'm going to compare myself to something. Here's the idea that I want in your mind. Thieves. You guys know what thieves are, right? They steal, kill, destroy, right? And then he contrasts what everybody knew about thieves with himself. And he says, but I have come that they might have life. And, and, if you're old school, it's life more abundantly, Right? But it says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. Not just have life, but to the fullest. And that sounds so much bigger than just forgiveness, right? Because listen, forgiveness, you, we're, we're, in a, we're in a debt. We're in a hole. And forgiveness just brings us back to even. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I haven't come for Even. I've come for so much more. What I'm doing is so much bigger than just even. I have not come to just forgive you of your sins and bring you back to even. I have come to, for, to, to deliver you from the power of sin so that you can have life to the fullest. So much better than just even. And Jesus would say, they were correct to call me Joshua because I've come to deliver you from something, not to just forgive you of something. And that's a big deal. Later on, Paul's writing to the Christians in Rome and being a Christian in Rome was not a good time under Nero. And he, he writes to them and he kind of puts this theological language around this idea. He says this, he says, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. In other words, don't let sin 
be your king. Don't let it be your master. Don't submit yourself to the rule of sin. Don't stay under its authority to which we would be like, wait, do we really have a choice in that? I mean, we, 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 you know, we don't like the term sin a whole lot. And so we use things like human nature. I mean, we're human. Is it possible to not be subject to human nature? Right? Is that even, is that even possible? And Jesus would say, yeah, you do. Paul would write, if they asked that question, Paul would say, yeah, Jesus came to deliver people from the power of sin. Not just for the forgiveness of sin. He keeps going. He says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather, which means is implied, there's an option. There's this way, don't do that way, but rather there's another way. And if your religious experience up to this point has been, oh, I sin and then ask forgiveness and sin and forgiveness and sin and forgiveness and sin and forgiveness. And it's just this cycle that you keep getting caught up in. Perhaps you've missed the reason that Jesus came in the first place. He says, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Calling back Jesus saying, I've come to give life to the fullest. What the heck is he talking about? What is that? This isn't about forgiveness of sin, but being set free from sin. And he says for sin, shall no longer be your master. Now, here's why this is so helpful. Because Paul sort of personifies this idea of sin. He kind of makes it a character in the story, talking about sin. Because like, it, it, you know, we can be like, well, what exactly is it? How is it? And Paul basically is, is setting it up like this. Like when you have those moments of, I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do what's wrong, right? I know I shouldn't, but I do. Or I know I should, but I don't. He's like, let's label that sin. Let's, that, let, you know, that. And through Christ, that whole dynamic no longer has power over you. Then he gets to the end of this passage that he's writing and he summarizes it with this verse that most of us have heard. For the wages, that is the outcome, the result, the consequences. For the wages of sin is death. Now, here's what we all know. And we all know this through experience is that sin kills things. Every time, sin always kills things. Some of you might be like, well, psh, I'm still here <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I've sinned. Yeah, 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 you are still here. Some of you have had marriages that have been killed through sin. Some of you have had your finances killed through sin. Relationships with family and friends killed through sin. Careers possibly killed through sin. Because sin kills every single time. But here's the, here's the part that I don't want you to miss. And this is where we get so tripped up sometime. Is this. Even forgiven sin kills things. Sin that has been forgiven still kills things. Our prisons are full of men and women 
who have asked God to forgive them. And he has. And they're still going to spend the majority of the rest of their life in prison. Because sin kills. But Jesus came into the world at Christmas to do more than just forgive. He came to save us from the power of the captivity of sin. So sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus, our Lord. And so many of us, when we read through that, like kind of the, the automatic, like as we were a kid, like, oh, eternal life, we're going to get to go to heaven. Eh, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. See, when you accept Christ, you receive now in the moment, not when you die, not what may happen or not happen in life after death. You receive in the moment, the gift of God's life. That is a life free from the power of the bondage of sin. And it frees you from the control of sin. And that, when you get down to it, that is what the gift of Christmas really is. And that's why Christmas is so much bigger than just the forgiveness of sins. So as we kind of bring this whole thing to a conclusion, the idea of Christmas being bigger, why, why? Why is Christmas so much bigger than a chapter and a half story that we hear once a year? It's because it began, the story began thousands of years before Matthew and his encounter with the angel. And Jesus came into the world at the time when the world needed it most, when hope was all but lost. It's so much bigger than just the chapter and a half story because God needed a way to demonstrate his love and commitment to us. And he needed to demonstrate it in a way that showed the magnitude of his love for us. And in a way that everyone everywhere would hear about it. And it's so much bigger because it is what has the potential to break the power of sin in our lives because Jesus came, because Jesus came, because Jesus came, sin is no longer our master. Christmas is a standing invitation to relationship with God. That is why Christmas is so much bigger than just a story about a baby in a manger. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it is not really possible for our minds to grasp the magnitude of what Christmas really is. God, I pray this Christmas season, as we're in our final week run up to the celebration of a day, that God, you this week revealed to us just a little bit more. Lord, let us understand just a little bit more, just the, the, the gravity of what you did through Christmas. God, may that begin to change our perspective, our perspective of how you feel about us and our perspective of what controls our lives. 
that Lord, so many of the things that we have struggled with, may we realize that we struggle with them because we have come to handle them in the wrong way. And we still have let those things be a master in our lives, but that through Christmas, sin is no longer our master. Lord, let us bask in the truth of that idea. And may it bring a whole new level to our appreciation of Christmas. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and for your grace. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out. Please come out to the Christmas party tonight. If not, next week, our Christmas Eve service at five o'clock. We wish you a Merry Christmas.